0: Stephen Logan is the attorney at Logan Attorneys. Our big five feature tonight. Five ways to try and prevent an African bank style calamity. Uh, Stephen Logan uh, spoke to us the week African Bank went down, was baying for blood, and he wanted prosecution for reckless trading and all sorts of things and reckless lending. Uh, Have you calmed down or do you still feel as strongly that executives at African Bank need to be held account for the way in which, uh, to account for the way in which they ran the business, Stephen?
1: I think that there's uh, definitely a need for executives to be held accountable. Uh, You can't just go to market and say "Uh, that's all we need and then a couple of months later come back and say we've underprovided in such a significant way. Um, there's clearly um, a problem there, and I think that the auditors also need to be investigated and held to account. It's it's not a small matter. It's a massive issue.
0: I mean, the market, and I, I use the term broadly, knew that African Bank's provisioning was different to the rest of the market. African Bank made no secret of the fact that it was not uh, its provisioning wasn't in line with market norms. It said it understood risk better than everybody else. So that was the subtext, anyway.
1: Well, that alone should tell you that there's a problem. I mean, if you've got these norms that are best practice elsewhere, in fact, in the rest of the world, and they're not being held to that, then that's an issue. And I think that, you know, it's very easy to hide behind um, <laughs> accounting standards and saying, um, well, we've applied these accounting standards. But the reality is that it came as a huge shock to the entire credit industry. Um, it wasn't expected. Um, we believed that adequate provision had been made. And it's it's just really unacceptable mm. uh, for
0: just to be a step on the wrist. I mean, maybe the issue of provisioning is something that is in itself massively contentious and needs to be addressed. We'll talk about that tonight, mm. I'm sure, uh, no doubt as well. Uh, five ways we can avoid, and yeah, there'll be another crisis in some other way, but mm. how do we avoid a repeat of the African bank mess? Uh, perhaps one of those ways. I mean, credit insurance, yeah. um, massively contentious, and it's one of the big uh, issues within African bank that is, is being looked at, no doubt, by the curator. Why is credit insurance such a bugbear?
1: The problem is it massively increases the risk for credit, um, the appetite that um, uh, credit providers have for risk because they can offset that risk uh, so such I, a large, large I I give extent. you a
0: thousand-rand loan. The chances yeah. are you're not going to pay me back that thousand-rand loan because you may lose your job. So I force you to take out insurance at a heavy whack, um, and, and that covers my risk of losing the loan. I get not only the insurance premium, um, but if, I, if, if you do fail to pay me, well, I get paid anyway courtesy of, of, of the insurance policy.
1: I wish it were just that. Oh, the no. reality <laughs> is more the, the incredible uh, profit margin. Uh, on credit life insurance. You know, the loss ratio, uh, the difference between uh, what is charged and what the actual costs are for the self-insured credit provider, um, are, are massive. Um, sorry, the the loss ratios effectively are so tiny that they're, they're, it's a hugely profitable industry. So that's the problem. It's abusive. It's predatory pricing. It's it's taking the cost of credit
0: to new levels that the consumer had no idea of because but they, the, the they had a, a Act, low interest y- rate. Y- and the, the National Pay Credit Act says you, know, you, must, you must declare the interest rate and you must show yeah. the impact of the interest rate. So what do they do? They put up a card with the interest rate on it. You go, I can afford that, except you're not oh. obliged then to add the insurance and add um, what would happen to you if you default, what happens with the garnishee orders and what happens with the legal process afterwards.
1: So all of those things do add Im- immensely to the mm. cost of credit if you default. But the problem is that credit life insurance is not part of that total cost of credit calculation. And so there's an effective rate that you're paying that's way in excess of whatever you've been quoted or what you think you'll be paying. Anyway, as we know, credit uh, credit is sold on the basis of the monthly repayments. Yeah. So no one really looks at the
0: total cost of credit and that needs to change as well. So uh, do we need to cap uh, how much insurance can cost or or do we simply need to force um, the declaration and add it to the real cost of credit? Say, I think you need both. Okay.
1: You, you definitely need to say so much and no more as a maximum, and then you need to draw it to the consumer's attention because a lot of credit life insul- insurance is missold. You can never qualify for it, even if you are retrenched, because uh, the the, pro- the provisions of the insurance policy say it will only uh, give you it in, in these conditions. If, For example, you were... Um, employed for more than six months or more than a year prior to retrenchment, or uh, for example, um, uh,
0: uh, there's but just but the, so the, many the, conditions. The, no, but the point is, if yeah. you're if you're somebody who's desperate enough for a short term loan, a mm. micro loan, and you're going in to borrow a thousand rand or two thousand rand, you need that money. Somebody's yeah. going to put a document in front of you. You'll, you'll sign it. You will sign it in the hope that you never have to use it, and the consequences of that only bite you um, if if things go pear shaped. Look, credit life insurance is one of the big bugbears and there's
1: been a massive problem that's been identified in the UK which is the mis-sold credit life insurance where people shouldn't have been sold it because they won't be able to qualify for it. Is that why Wonga's in trouble? No, Wonga okay. is a different issue. Okay, but, on um, another day perhaps. Yeah, um, it's an issue in its own right. Uh, but um, we also need affordability assessment regulations which say that you have to check thoroughly as to whether or not a person can afford the credit that they're applying for the, the problem at the moment is that clearly uh, consumers are under-declaring expenses and the norms that the national credit regulator mm. has set are basically going to say you, you can't accept ridiculous expenses. You have to accept something closer to reality. Uh, and you, you also talk about making debt a legal matter rather than an administrative matter. What's the difference? Yeah. So if you're collecting debt, particularly if you want an emolument attachment order, uh, which will deduct a portion of your salary and that's pay a court it over. Order. A court order. Yeah. It's an administrative matter at the moment because really all you need to do is get a clerk of the court to stamp it. There's no financial inquiry that's done in court at the time. And you need a proper financial inquiry to determine... But there
0: are very strict rules around emolument orders, aren't there? They've got to be done in the jurisdiction of the person where the default has occurred or where the loan was made. And you get loans being made in Joburg and and court papers getting stamped in Cape Town. There's one case Mm. in escort, isn't there, where some clerk of the court must have run out of ink.
1: Yeah, quite right, because they found her apparently at home with some 12,000 emolument attachment orders (laughs) that she was franking at home. So... The Department of Justice, I understand, is investigating that, but the DTI and the Department of Justice are trying to bring in rules to limit how emolument attachment orders are granted because there's so much abuse. Now, the problem with emolument attachment orders is that, again, it just increases the credit risk appetite of credit providers because they know that they can get payment uh, by attaching portion of your salary so you've got to you've got to make sure that the provisions that we've got are working better and bring in things like capping credit life insurance making sure affordability assessments are meaningful and then doing other things Uh, um, we've uh, been uh, speaking to credit providers and they've said maybe given that the cost of credit is so high Uh, one should actually think about capping the amount of credit risk that a credit provider can take. Because also
0: you you have a situation where you talk to bank executives and they have got a different way of thinking about risk and they say, well, if I lend money to 100 people and 65 of them pay me back, I'll make a profit. That is acceptable risk. I can write off the 35. But the consequences of that is you've got to charge so much more to the 65 people who are doing their damnedest to keep a good, clean uh, credit record who are going to pay you back so that they can get the next loan because they may be trying to build an asset of value over time and, and they're being the good and honorable customer that you so desperately want to encourage but you're hurting them Absolutely. I mean, you're trying to find the right attitude you know the yes. the reality is that that is exactly what's
1: happening we are all paying more for our credit because there, there's a huge problem with impaired credit where people are actually defaulting in large numbers you've got 50% or thereabouts of all consumer consumers who are active Users of credit who have got impaired
0: credit records. I mean, they're what? That means more than three months behind in their payments. That's the minimum. And if you're earning 5,000 Rand a month and you've borrowed 5,000 Rand and you're three months behind on on payment, for you to catch up must be practically impossible. What is uh, so
1: strange in this market is to try and understand how you can advance credit to people who have credit impaired. Really, it should be a a blatant. uh, Matter. It should be obvious to a credit provider that that is reckless credit. And I think that the NCR should do an audit of the existing book of every major credit provider to say, are you lending credit to people who are credit impaired? And if you are then I think that it should be referred to the National Consumer Tribunal as a prima
0: facie case for reckless lending. And, and in those cases, there's a strong argument to be made to, to write off the debt and say, look, Absolutely. you know what, we lent it to you recklessly. It's our fault, not yours. You know what, the, the, this is your your once so freebie. It, they won't do it again. Well, my hope is that if they
1: do that and they actually find that a significant portion of the bad book that was bought by Saab from uh, the curator um, will actually be illegal. And in that case, the curator will have to take it back and shareholders will have to foot the bill because why should taxpayers pay for an illegal debt? Mm -hmm. So I I really think that that's a crucial thing, holding the auditors to account generally going forwards, reviewing models, making sure that your rating models are actually keeping up with changed environments, making sure you have deep reserves, um, lots of of funding, many different sources of funding so that we don't end up with another one of these scenarios.
0: And also make sure that the information that is publicly available is complete, it's fully accurate and there's no deceit. Absolutely. And I think that the
1: provisions, it's, those provisions are very worrying because the size of the provisions, why weren't they small, in smaller numbers you know, over a longer period of time? You know where things are going wrong. You should have disclosed that earlier and said, okay, 200 million, another 200 million. Why, where, how do you get to billions at uh, a time?
0: Okay, fine, we're doing 3 billion. It's like, it, we, we, we were going through the books yesterday. We found 3 billion rands worth of bad debts. Yeah. It, it smacks of carelessness. More than (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a deadly serious issue, and I don't mean to laugh about it. But uh, Stephen Logan, thank you very much. Thought-provoking as always. Stephen Logan is an attorney at Logan Attorneys. He's a consumer attorney. He deals with people who uh, come to to his office on on a regular basis and just go, Houston, I have a problem. Um, I've taken on too much debt. I don't know how to get out of this particular problem. And he tries to help them rectify the situation.